Where's a good station? Glory. Glory. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. My name's Bill, and I'm here with my good buddy, Grace Guard Dog Steve. Grace our dog Steve is guarding the grace. Guard grace. Guarding the grace. Oh, you want to hear some good news? Yes. Out there in Grace Guard Dog Pound? Yes. JB, John Benavides f- finished his book. He's been working on it for a long time. I think it's called Running from Grace but Captured by His Love. It's kind of an autobiography. Yeah, he's been working on it for a long time, man. It's a grace book. You guys. Yeah. Funny. He pulls no punches in it. No. I want to understand, so. No. He's going to have less people over for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, he's a good guy. Can we put it up on the webpage? We will try, yes. We'll get it up on the webpage. Just check in with us on guardinggrace.com. That's where we have our webpage. And we also have an sort of an offer from a guy that saw our webpage and wants to help us. Yes, tell the story. Well, he we had a leak in his pond, and I went over there to fix that, and we just got to talking and told him what we did and found out he does web pages and pretty good at it, and he looked at ours and thought that we could use some help. <laughs> <laughs> Which we can. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think you're the head of the webpage there, Garduck Steve. I'm so. the head designer. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guilty. So so we, we need some help out there. Yeah. So what did he say he would do? He's going to look at it and make some improvements, uh, make it so we can put videos place for testimonies. We want to make it a, an interactive page that we want to extend the Grace Guard Dog Pound because we're finding out there's a lot of Grace Guard Dogs out there and they love the grace. So as Jesus said, Pharisees beware. Because we're growing by the day. It's funny how the Apostle Paul, when he was called by Jesus, and he was a huge Pharisee, he was persecuting the church, pretty much having people killed. If he wasn't having them killed, he was darn close to it, that's for sure. And he thought he was doing a really good thing. Yes. They really believed that Jesus was doing miracles by the power of Beelzebub, that he was actually using the power of Satan to do good things. 
Jesus confronted him in the book of Acts, it seems like it's Jesus on the outside confronting him. In Galatians, it, it says when Jesus revealed, revealed himself, himself in, in me. me. Yeah. Yes. And the question he asked was not what are you doing? He said, why are you persecuting me? He sure did. That's a good question to ask yourself. Yes. Why? Why am I doing this? Why are we why are we insistent on living by rules and regulations and and performance driven, fear driven Christianity? Why? Why are we doing this? After when you ask why and then you answer why, then there's another question you gotta ask. Is it working? That, and, that's a big one. Yeah, that was one I was confronted with. And for me, I'm unique in this way. I was easy to quickly say, no, it's not working. There's a lot of people that if you ask them why, they think it's the only way to live. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Exactly. Why? Don't even think about it. Don't think about why. Just do it. And it goes back to... Why are you doing things the way you are? Why are you trying to, are you so foolish? After beginning in the spirit, why are you going back to a performance-based Ten Commandment mentality? A human-driven Christian life. Yeah, why are you going back to human effort, a Christian life? We actually need to think that through. But so in in Acts chapter 7, he says... Jesus revealed himself in him. Now, his only recollection of Jesus was Jesus in the physical body. And when he claimed to be the son of God and that God was his father, that provoked this idea that this guy's a, a heretic. Not a, no, worse than a heretic, a blasphemer, because he was claiming to be with God. But he had no idea of this new and living way He had no idea of Jesus when he told the disciples in the upper room, I'm going away. Don't be sad. A lot of bad things are going to happen to me. I'm going to be beaten, tortured, crucified, killed, buried, but I'm going to come back. And on the day of Pentecost, you will know that I am in you and you are in me. Well, Saul of Tarsus didn't know Jesus was in him until Jesus said, Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you? And at that point, it would seem like you could make a case for that's the time that Jesus was in Paul. That Paul was aware of it. Because that's what Paul says in in Galatians. Yeah, his testimony. It's actually in... Galatians 1, he, he said, but when God who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not me- immediately consult with flesh and blood. Now, this seems to be the time in Galatians chapter 1 where Paul said God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. 
Yes. You could make a case for it, but it's actually never said when God revealed his son in Paul. But he did reveal his son in Paul, and that changed the game for Paul. Paul now preached a good news that contained Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of being able to do a, become a model Christian, the model Christian. Well, definitely Paul, the guy that wrote Galatians, wrote Colossians, where he says he calls it the mystery of God, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the certainty of, of glory, the certainty of living the life you always wanted to live. But that was a radical change from the way life was lived before that moment. That was a radical change when Christ went up to the cross and inaugurated a new covenant with new rules and a new game plan to it that had to be taught to everybody. Like Paul said, this is my way of life in Christ Jesus that I teach everywhere in every church. And we're trying to answer this why question. Why do we still go on with the Ten Commandment mentality? It's because, for one, we read the Bible, and so much of it, like two-thirds to three-quarters of it, was about being under the law. Yeah. And it ingrained it in us, and so we're indoctrinated with this Ten Commandment mentality that we grew up with. It was since childhood we've had the commandments put forth to us to obey. It was written in our schools. The whole flow of Christianity goes towards just following rules. Following the rules. The Ten Commandments. They were so famous that they themselves indoctrinated us. They saturated us with this thought about just trust and obey because there's no other way, like you said. And to a certain extent, would you want to put someone that in society that has no reverence for God, no acknowledgement of God in any way, just say, do whatever you feel right? That was how they lived before the flood says each man did what he thought was right in his own his own mind, his own thoughts. And so if you were a big guy and you saw a guy had a nice farm over there and you just, in my mind, I think I should have that farm and his wife and his cows and sheep. And you took them and you did what was right in your own mind. So the question is, how do we not do that, but not put ourselves under the law either. And I think it gets answered by Jesus' question. Why? Why are you persecuted? Why do you think I'm not the way? Why do you think you have the way, Paul? Why do you think the life you're living is the life that is pleasing God? Because a Pharisee was dedicated to pleasing God. He was dedicated to keeping all of the Ten Commandments. Paul's own testimony in Philippians 3 was, as far as the legalistic requirements 
of the of the law, he says he was faultless. Faultless. So he could toe the line. Yes, he did. And Paul and Jesus was sitting there saying to a guy who could toe the line, why are you towing this line, Paul? Why? Ask yourself why. And ask yourself, what does this new covenant change? Yes. Because just bring out a little picture about the new covenant. It is a covenant whereby... Jesus, who lives inside of us, is the power to live a sinless life. See, we're not saying throw away the Ten Commandments and then live however you want. We're saying throw away the Ten Commandments and let Christ rule in your heart. Let Christ be the source of your Christian life because Apart from him being the source of your Christian life, you can bear no fruit. And what's worse than living by the Ten Commandments is actually Galatianism, a, a form of Galatianism, where you say, yes, I have the Spirit. They believe that, but they also wanted rules. So they wanted both. That's the worst of all. If you put someone directly under the law, they probably will burn out pretty quick. That is what God said, I will spew out of my mouth. Yes, yes, he did. Don't be the spew. Yeah, don't be the spew. <laughs> so so why is a good question? Because that's what Paul, that's what Jesus asked Saul, and it's what Saul asked the Galatians when he says, why are you going back to these, he called them beggarly principles in, in one? And that why question, why do we want to move away from the law and move to something else? Why would we want to move to something else? Why would we want to move to another covenant? Because it's better than yes. the old covenant. It's better than the Mosaic covenant. And we can look at the passages that tell us point blank that it's better, that give us the reason why we would want to switch covenants. We can look at passages like in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 3, where we were last week. That's right. We could finish that off and jump into some, some Hebrews that talks about how much better the second covenant is than the first. Yeah, just in 2 Corinthians 3, he was not saying the Ten Commandments was bad. He just said, this is better. Right. And he said, there was a glory to the, to the letter, to the old covenant. But he said, compared to the new covenant, it's as if there was no glory at all. Comparatively speaking, there is no comparison. You know what? I'm going to say it the way the Bible says it. Okay. A little clear. That's all, the way we roll. We always just go to the scriptures and unveil the scriptures. So you're you're very guardogian today, Bill. Yeah. Okay. This is for all the guard dogs in the pound out there. Yes. Are we under the law? Are we under the Ten Commandments? Paul, we talked about last week. Remember, we talked about the 
You yourselves are a letter from Christ, manifestly written on your heart. People see the gospel. People actually see the Ten Commandments lived out by a person that can live out the Ten Commandments. A living example of the Ten Commandments is better than trying to do the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to start here. We talked about you yourselves are living epistles, known and read by all men. Then we talked about our adequacy is not of ourselves, but it's of God in us to preach the gospel. That's exactly where he says in verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God who has also made us adequate servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So what is the letter, Gardog? Mm-hmm. It's the thing on those two tablets of stone, trying your best to just trust and obey because there's no other way in finding out that it doesn't work. So you're saying it's the Ten Commandments? Let's see if Guard Dog Steve is right. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death... You're going to stick with that? Yes. Okay. If the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, Steve is right. Mm Mm-hmm. The Ten Commandments is the letter of death. The letter of death. So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face fading as it was. How shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? So the, the, the Spirit has a ministry. The Ten Commandments had a ministry with a glory, and the ministry of the Spirit has glory. Yes. Verse 9, here's another description of the Ten Commandments. We had it called the letter of death so far, right? Mm Mm-hmm. For if the ministry of condemnation, the Ten Commandments so far is the letter of death, and the ministry of that condemns. That's harsh, man, but true. But true. All it does is condemn you as a failure all day long. The more you try, the more you feel like a failure. That's why they call it the principle of sin and death. Is it any wonder Jesus said, why? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Good. Good point. Good is it point. any wonder Paul said to the Galatians, why? Why would you, you go back? back to that? The ministry of death? Why would you go back to that? Why? Uh, The ministry that condemns you? The ministry that finds fault with everything you do? Exactly. Points out all your failures. If I wanted that, I'd just get married. Jesus said the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) You got it, huh? (laughs) Oh. I'm just kidding. I'm happily married, you guys. And and I am too. (laughs) Okay, go Uh, ahead. Okay. (laughs) That was funny. I was going to say, 
Jesus said that to the Pharisees. I, now, I think it's in John 6. He said, do not think I will accuse you before the Father. It is Moses who accuses you. And then you know what he says? In whom you set your hope. That is true. That is true. The you law set your hope you. in the person that is condemning, condemning you. you. You put your hope in the condemner. The, the I got to ask it again. Yes. Why? why would you do that? Right. Why would anyone do that? Right. Good point. When you bring it out like that, I mean... You can't argue against it. It's just a bad idea to get under the ministry of condemnation. That's why he said, Moses will condemn you. Jesus, when Jesus says Moses will condemn you, he means the law, the Mosaic law will condemn you. The Mosaic law will condemn you. It was its purpose to be the ministry that finds fault, the ministry of death the ministry of condemnation, the letter that kills. And there's nothing wrong with the law. Paul said It's holy, Romans, righteous, and good. He said it was holy, righteous, and good, imperfect. But there was something wrong with us. We are human and have a human nature that is sold to, into bondage of sin. A nature that is completely incompatible with the Ten Commandments. Right, because the Ten Commandments are spiritual. It was the final nail in the coffin of the Ten Commandments on the Sermon on the Mount. Be ye perfect. <laughs> How perfect. Yeah. As your Father in Heaven. Yes, yes. Well, if that's the standard, why would you want to put yourself under that standard? Under that scrutiny. Because and Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will in no way enter the kingdom. No way enter the kingdom. And remember that word righteous means your ability to keep the covenant. The covenant. You're those laws. The covenant. Those yeah. laws. The Mosaic covenant was a two-sided covenant. If you do this, God will do this. If you don't do this, God won't do this. Or right. That. You're not going to have good produce in your fields. You're going to have famines. I'll let enemies attack you whenever they want. But if you do good, I'll protect you from all those things. It was a two-sided covenant. Except we didn't keep our side of it. And that that's what he's going to We're, we're going to go to Hebrews. But in Hebrews, he's going to say, God found fault with the covenant. Because he found fault with the people. The people couldn't keep the covenant. So he changed the covenant because the people could not keep, keep the covenant. And that's why we're, because remember, we're asking this question. Why do we just seem to, by nature, go back to the law constantly? Why is all our, the sermons that we hear, why are they all about just picking a verb and saying, do this verb as well as you can. And then it still won't be good enough because you have to do the verb perfectly. We just over and over hear sermons where they pick a verb and say, 
all the pros and cons about doing it well or not doing it are well. All true. Yeah. And all the motivational speaking they can say about that verb. But nevertheless, they're picking a verb and telling you to try and do it at a level that you cannot humanly do it at. And to a certain degree, they're probably right. If you could do this, your life would be better, but you can't. Yeah, they're ignoring the elephant in the room. You can't. That's why the Sermon on the Mount says, Jesus says, if, if you think it, you've just done as it. guilty as doing it. Right. As far as coveting, adultery, and uh, murder, and thinking it's the same as doing it. Keep your mind pure. <laughs> if you don't, it's just like being a serial adulterer. Jesus works. Yes. And James, if you stumble at one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of the law. James 2.10, yeah. Just accidentally steal a pencil or something, and you've broken all 613 commandments. So that no one is going to be justified or declared righteous by the law, for through the law is the knowledge of sin. Yes, The knowledge of missing the mark. Okay, verse 9. I'm going to repeat a little bit, but. For the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Ministry of righteousness? Didn't we just say that righteousness means you're keeping your end of the covenant? Yes, and I want to say that's the Spirit's ministry, the ministry of making you feel righteous. You guys, you, you don't know how bad I want to go off right now. It's one of my soapbox issues that the Spirit gets a bad rap Because most people say the Spirit convicts you of sin. It's that law of condemnation that convicts you of sin. And the Spirit comes back as the antidote. Oh, gosh, Steve. The the case that's made that the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin is found in the, let's see, Gospel of John chapter 8 with the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus says, he who is without sin... Let him cast the first stone, and it says they walked away one by one, and we say, that's the Holy Spirit convicting them of sin. Only problem is, the next chapter says the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Amen. So what does convict of sin? It Doesn't it say that in James 2.11? Because they were all convicted of sin, even though there was no Holy Spirit there. But they did have the law. Right. What what does convict of sin? The knowledge of the tree of good and evil, the law, Hasatan the accuser, and and don't ever forget your accountability partner because they will tear you up. That's their job. If you let them catch you. But there's only one thing that says that the law was given in Romans three to hold everyone accountable. So that all mouths would be shut. Yes. And James 2.11 did say that we're convicted by the law. Law. Right. As a transgressor. Okay, so back to 2 Corinthians 3.11. Let's see, I think I was here. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not as Moses who used to put a veil over his face that 
the sons of Israel might not look intently at the face of what was fading away. So the law was given and it's being compared to the ministry of the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit, haven't we been talking about manifesting week after week? And what is the adjective for the the Greek word phaneru? Isn't it to shine? shine? What happened to Moses' face with the Ten Commandments? It was shining when he first came down off the mountain, but then it faded away. It dulled. It dulled. Dimmed. Dimmed. Can we ask the question, why? Again. Yes, let's do it. Why would you want to go back to that ministry? Exactly. It had a glory. But he says, compared to the glory, compared to the shine, compared to the radiant manifestation of the Spirit of Christ, it's really as if it didn't have a shine glory at, all. at all. Yeah. That's what the Apostle Paul said. It's as if it had no glory at all. But it says, but their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the old covenant, the law, the law, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. In what? In Christ. Isn't that what happened to Saul of Tarsus? The veil was removed. Yes. And Christ was revealed. revealed. Or unveiled. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Mm. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Freedom. Didn't Paul say he was a slave? To sin. to sin, and didn't he ask, "Who will set me, me free? free? Who will liberate me?" Yes. What was the answer, our dog Steve? Thanks, Thanks be to God through, through Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ who did it. In this passage here, saying where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom from sin and feeling condemned. Important freedom to get. To. You want to be free of sinning and being condemned so you can live an exemplary Christian life. You want to be free, and it's the Spirit of God that sets you free. That, isn't it saying the same thing all throughout the Bible, that the Spirit of God does for you what you can't do for yourself? It does, and check this out. This is how it closes this thought. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, he's showing us the life inside of us, mm-hmm. as if we're looking at it in the mirror, right. seeing Christ in a mirror. Mm-hmm. The life that is inside of us, the hidden man of the heart, Peter it, calls it, right? Yes. It's the same thing. That hidden man of the heart, we're beholding his image, and it's the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The same image we're being transformed into. Explain what that means. It is the opposite 
of keeping the commandments and being a better person by being able to follow them. It is by simply seeing that Christ is our life and realizing it, this transformation begins to take place that no person can take credit for. It's a miraculous transformation by we're beholding Christ our life. We're depending on the Spirit to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but slowly but surely, sometimes all of a sudden, we're seeing the Spirit do for us what we can never do for ourselves. And when we see that and then go back to the Ten Commandments and boast and promote a fading glory, we have to ask, why would you do that? Why would you give in to that? Remember, these Judaizers were after Paul, and they wanted him to just keep the law, keep the Ten Commandments, keep some something. <laughs> and at the end of Galatians, it's kind of funny, he says, they, they, were, they said, well, just be circumcised. Just do that, at least. And he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything. The only thing that counts is the new creation. And he says to these people that were so wanting a rule, you know, he says, mm -hmm. peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. rule. Yes, yes. <laughs> Here's yes. the rule. Here's the rule. The only thing that counts is the new, new creation. creation. The way you're transformed is by beholding in a mirror that new creation. That new creation. To see Jesus inside of you and then go, he's the guy I'm going to depend on. He's my life. Yes. And this whole idea about living by the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus that lives inside of you, that whole idea of a new covenant doesn't become more obvious than it does in, in the book of Hebrews. I, I think we, we do need to conclude this podcast with, with a short little look at the book of Hebrews and what it's saying about why would you want to live under a new covenant? Why wouldn't you want to live under the old covenant? Well, I think Hebrews is going to share some wisdom. Great comment. So let's first acknowledge there's two covenants. Yes. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. I'm getting the idea better. What about you? It's God attained a more excellent ministry, a better one. It is capital H-E, mm -hmm. God. It's more excellent by as much as he, capital H-E again, God, is also the mediator of a better covenant, which he has been, which has been enacted on better promises, kind of like Second Peter to his very great and precious, precious promises. promises. And they were mentioned of in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where he said, this is what I'm promising you, a new covenant whereby I put my spirit in you and it causes you to walk a model Christian life. And bear fruit 
And you know what Peter says? If you're not bearing fruit, it's not because you're not trying. It's because you've forgotten forgotten the promises. Yes. Amen. Doesn't that is is too cool, Bill. I mean, that (laughs) that just. So don't forget the promises. Don't forget the promises. I was thinking about how that used to trip me up when I was in the promise keepers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. I think I laughed too loud for the microphone. Sorry. Sorry. That is funny, Bill. That was the only reason I couldn't. <laughs> and say. why would you find fault with the promise keepers? Because you can't keep the promises. The I could not keep the, the promises. Same idea as why would you want to be under the law? Why? Why? Chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. That makes sense. Right. If If if, it worked. If it worked, we wouldn't need another covenant, but it didn't work. Verse 8, speaking about God, for finding fault with them, them, the people under the covenant. Yes. He says, behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. Like it or not like it? Not like it. Just like he said in Ezekiel. If it's a lot like the old covenant, it may not be the new covenant. Exactly. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out, took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. So, what was wrong with the first covenant? It says he found fault with it. What the covenant, first covenant, couldn't do, weakened as it was by the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of the flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh. I'm quoting Romans 8, 2. I think you are, yeah. Yeah. So the fault with the first covenant was it found fault with us. Didn't Paul mm-hmm. say the same thing in 2 Corinthians 3? It was the ministry that finds fault? Yes. God made a covenant where it would be impossible to find fault with the people. Yes. That's the covenant of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's the law that finds the fault, not the Spirit. Spirit. Yes. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizens and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them. And what is that Greek word for know? Well, there's two. Exactly. There's edo, Mm -hmm. which is like to see. Academically know. Yeah. And there's no gnosko. Yes. So he's saying that they all shall experience the Lord and they shall all see the Lord. Exactly. When someone is 
experiencing the Lord or manifesting the Holy Spirit, people see the Lord. People see God. People see the invisible God. That passage says they will experience God from the greatest to the least of them, and then they will see God, meaning I see God in you, Bill, all the time, especially today. You've been speaking spiritual truths expressed in spiritual words, and I know them, therefore I see God manifesting himself through you. We are supposed to see the unseen, the thing that I'm telling you we have to do the next podcast on because I'm just itching to do it, how we can see invisible things. Seeing the unseen. Yes. The last verse in Second Corinthians 4 said we scope upon what is unseen, not what is seen. seen. For what is seen is temporary or seasonal, but what is unseen is eternal. And that is how you live the Christian life because you're seeing the invisible spirit inside of someone. You're seeing the I am in every circumstance of your life and it gives you such peace Mm. Mm. that the kind of peace that you're able to endure what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 4. He calls it light and momentary troubles. Mm-hmm. I call them a catastrophe. I call them my everyday life. <laughs> but he says those things are seasonal, temporary. They'll pass. So, okay, so we're at Hebrews 8. Now we're at 13, 12, sorry. He says, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. Well, how is the Holy Spirit remembering our sins and reminding us? He's not. How how do people not remember these verses when they say the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin? It's the law. If you're feeling condemned, You're under the law. You're under the law, and Hasatan is whooping you, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is helping. Those are the three agencies in which we get our condemnation and our ability to know that we have sinned. We do not need the Holy Spirit to convict us that we've sinned. And as good news as it may be, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us of sin. He just gets a bad rap. That's actually the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke about. Yeah, and Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, it says he will convict the world of sin and convict us of righteousness, literally convince us of our righteousness. Righteousness, yes. Say that again because... It needs to be said really loud. It's the world of sin because they believe not on him yet. They're not trusting him for their life. When you're not trusting him for your life, you're trusting your ability to live up to the Ten Commandments or some kind of standard of performance, human effort, treadmill, and you're 
you're called living by the world or the cosmos, and you're going to feel condemned living that way. But it says, he lets you know you're not living by me. It's not a beating up reminder. It's why are you living? Why are you going back to the, the world system? The Ten Commandments. I was going to say promise keepers. I beat them up enough. Yeah, yeah. But why are you going back to the human, what do we call that? The human performance treadmill? Treadmill, yeah. If left to our own, we'll do like Bill used to do all the time. Go to a, a seminar, buy a book, take the book home, read the book. Commit to keeping the book and getting into, I say this because I bought about four or five of those 30-day experiments with God books. And I don't, I never got into double digits on the days. I was one, two, day three, day four, I'd have to go back and do three, day three and four. Then I was behind five, then six, then, then I just quit. I never had the ability to, to just hold on to the book. I would lose it. <laughs> I mean, talk about failing. And I would feel convicted. Mm-hmm. So what was convicting me? My conscience. Yes. Your conscience is convicting you because you're under some kind of performance. Maybe the Ten Commandments, maybe just from one of these books. Okay, I beat them up enough. Yeah, and that was the fourth agency for convicting you of sin. Your conscience. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's Satan himself. It's the law and your own conscience. Those four agencies are what convict you that you're naked and ashamed, that you've sinned, not the Holy Spirit. Paul made that real clear. I believe it's in Romans 2 and 3, because he brings it up. He says, what about those people that don't have the law? How do they know they're not doing right? Mm -hmm. And it says... Their conscience. Their conscience. Mm -hmm. Alternating between accusing and acquitting. Yes. Or accusing and justifying them. Yeah, I think it's justifying. And we've all had that. Mm -hmm. And that's in Romans 2. I slandered that guy. But he had it coming to him. I flattened his tire, though, and I shouldn't have done that. But he needs to learn a lesson. Yes. That's your conscience accusing you, and then you shouldn't have said that thing, and then acu- excusing your behavior. Well, I wouldn't have said it if he wasn't a jerk. Yeah. Okay. Verse 13. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first covenant obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Do you know when, you do know this, we've talked about it, but when the veil was torn in two, signifying that sacrifices weren't going to be needed, that the Holy of Holies was become, had become an open place, that the whole system of the law and the festivals and the sacrifices was becoming obsolete, and there was a new thing coming called the New Covenant and the Ministry of Spirit. You know what some of the people did? They sewed the curtains back together and went about sacrificing 
Yeah. I did not know that. In Hebrews 10, it says they were going back to the law and offering mm-hmm. sacrifices. Yeah. But he says it's becoming obsolete and it's soon going to disappear. Well, now, 2,000 years later, that whole system has disappeared. If you think you can live up by, live according to the Ten Commandments, the law, the sacrifices, you can't. First, you got to find a Levite, a priest, that, that you can... Uh, and the your, temple. And the temple, all that. Just, just accept it. It's become obsolete, and God's not going to build another temple somewhere and and put something that he said was obsolete back in force. Right. This, this is a new, permanent priesthood. Yes. Yes, so much. I wish. I pray. Matter of fact, I'm going to pray. Father God, I pray that you would lighten the eyes, enlighten the eyes of everybody listening to this podcast, that they receive an overwhelming spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can have a mind that understands the scriptures that we pointed to, because that's what we did. We pointed the scriptures. The scriptures were doing the talking, and we need to trust and obey the scriptures. That's what we need to trust and obey. And Amen. they says you are not, sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. And Father, I just want you to allow some of the people out there who are struggling and saying it, it makes sense, but I just don't know. This is what I've known all my life. Would, would you allow them repentance and to come to the knowledge of the truth and their right mind that they become sensible and have a knowledge of what the truth is. The truth is that I don't do the good that I see. Jesus in me does the good that I see. And, and I'm alluding to Second Timothy 2.24 and following because it says, we pray that they would come to a knowledge of the truth and escape the trap of the devil who's taken them captive to do the devil's will. You get taken captive when the law becomes the power of sin and the law causes sin to spring to life and dominate you. That's when you become captive. So please, Father God, allow the people listening to this podcast to at least give it a chance. Just try this new covenant way of life. It's right there on the pages. That's undeniable. We we showed the, the passages to you. You can't argue with those passages, but give people the courage to trust and obey what they just read here today, Father. It's in your son's name that I ask you to bless and bless and bless the listeners to this podcast and all the guard dogs out there too. Thanks, you guys. We love you. We love you. Good night.